your spirit cleanse us Lord and purify our hearts and may we see anew your love for us in Jesus name amen as you look at Genesis the first chapter you learn something you learn something about creation and you learn something about God you learn that God loves order. He loves variety. He loves beauty. He loves creating things. I also see that God is an artist, an amazing artist. And even though we live in a sin-marred world, consider, if you will, the flowers, the birds, the animals, the land animals, the fishes, the majestic mountains, the beautiful meadows, the sunsets. And we can go on and on about the variety and the various things that God has created on this earth. 
But I also want to mention one other thing that he created, and that was humanity. Yes, when you look at people, and we can look at all of us here today, there's not one who looks like the other. Even our voices are different. Our walks is diff- are different from one another. Yes, people are different. God loves variety. And he loves order. And he loves beauty. And he loves creating things. Have you ever thought of God in terms of an artist? He is the most brilliant, the most creative artist the world has ever seen, the universe has ever seen. He is an artist extraordinaire. God's most significant creation is man. And when I say man, as the Bible says, he called them man. Let us make man in our own image. He's talking about male and female. He's talking about Adam and Eve. The creator of man has arranged the living machinery of our bodies. Every function of our bodies is wonderfully and wisely made. We can behold and admire the work of God in the natural world. But the human habitation is the most wonderful. In the human body, there are 60,000 to 100,000 miles of blood vessels. There are 11 organ systems, 260, 206 bones, 640 or between 640 and 850 muscles, and millions, maybe even trillions of cells in the body. The psalmist says in 139, verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. You are marvelously and wonderfully made. God has made man, humanity, male, female. We are told that man was the crowning, crowning act of the creation of God, made in the image of God, and designed to be a counterpart of God. Man is very dear to God because he was formed in his image. As Adam came forth from the hand of his creator, he was of noble height. You might be interested in this, Brother White. He was of noble height and of beautiful symmetry. He was more than twice as tall as men now living upon the earth and was well proportioned. His features were perfect and beautiful. His complexion was neither white nor sallow, but ruddy, glowing with the rich tint of health. Eve was not quite as tall as Adam. Her head reached a little above his shoulders, but she too was noble, perfect in symmetry, and very beautiful. Man came from the hand of God, perfect, perfect in every faculty of mind and body, in perfect soundness, therefore in perfect health. If Adam, at his creation, had not been endowed with 20 times as much vital force as men now have, the race, the human race, with their present habits of living in violation of God's natural law, would have become extinct. That's a powerful statement. 
Man was to bear God's image in both outward resemblance and in character. His nature was to be in harmony with the will of God. His mind was capable of comprehending divine, divine things. His affections were pure. His appetites and passions were under the control of reason. He was holy and happy in bearing the image of God and perfect in obedience to his will. Patriots and Prophets, page 45. And the previous quote was My Life Today, page 131. Adam stood as representative of all natural offspring, of all of his natural offspring, and that they were to be partakers of the benefits of his obedience. They were also, if he was not obedient, to be partakers of his misery from his disobedience. And that seems to be the case. After the fall of man, he was unable to recover himself. His will and conscience became corrupt, morally corrupt, became wicked. And though still subject to moral laws of God, he was void of the Holy Spirit, unable to obey spiritual laws unless born of the Spirit. When our parents, Adam and Eve, chose to exercise their free will by disobeying God, there were some consequences. Some things happened on the planet. Sin, first of all, broke the spiritual bond between man and his creator. No longer did they have that face-to-face -face communion and fellowship. Man's mind had become and his nature had become corrupt, had become carnal. Man became filled by an independent, rebellious, self-centered spirit. And it damaged relationships with God and with each other. You look at the passage in Genesis where after they had sinned and God came to them, Adam blamed God for giving him Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. Nobody wanted to take responsibility for their own mistake. And this is the result of sin. He lost his home. He lost his job. He lost his dominion. This new state, this new sin state, affected not only man, but it also affected the animal kingdom. All of a sudden, we had to sacrifice animals. And then animals began to eat other animals. All because of sin. Nature changed. Nature became hostile in its quality, in its living conditions. It changed man's standing with God. Man was not any longer righteous before God. It brought fear because when Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what did they do? Did they run to God or did they run away from God? So it created a sense of fear once they were aware of their sin. It made them ashamed and they hid themselves from God. And brothers and sisters, let me just say this to you, that we are still running from God. We are still hiding from God. And he is still pursuing us. Just like he did Adam and Eve. Selfishness became supreme. 
You know, selfishness is the essence of sin. It's all about me, me, me. You know, sin, S-I-N, self, I, and nobody else, that's sin. It's all about me, me. What can I get? What's in it for me? Sin. Yes, I tell you, sin has become supreme. And even in our lives, brothers and sisters, we are selfish. There are some times I have to stop when confronted with the possibility of being able to help or do something for someone else. And I have some reserve. I'm just going to just share with you um, my, what, you know, what's going on in my own experience. And then I realize that in feeling and thinking that way, I am being selfish. When you have the capacity to remedy the situation, whatever it might be, you should do it. And sometimes we have the capacity to help somebody and we don't do it because we're so selfishness. We're so selfish. We're so I-oriented, me-oriented. Well, they also lost their innocence. Their thinking toward God became carnal. And the Bible tells us in Romans 8, 7, that enmity against God. Let's take a look at Romans 8, 7 and see what it says. So I don't want to mislead you in any way. So if we could just quickly look at Romans 8, 7. Romans 8, verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Now, the carnal mind which we received from sin cannot please God. And this is what was passed on to us from the sin of Adam. They lost their holy moral nature. They lost their character. That character that was the image of God. They lost it because of sin. Because they thought by eating of the fruit that they would become like God. And Satan tricked them into thinking that because he wanted to be like God. Then let me also mention that as a result of sin... We're talking about how sin has changed the world, has changed everything that God had made. Because when you look at Genesis 1, 31, after God had made everything, you look at that, and what do you find? What was God's attitude and his thinking about his creation? When you look at Genesis 1, 31, it says here, Then God saw everything that he had made. He made everything, including humanity. And he says, He that he had made, and he said it was not just good, but very good. Sin took the very good out of God's creation. That's what he did. The curse of death, not only for humanity, but for animals, for plants. There was no thing called death prior to sin. Sin brought death. And sin and death became an inescapable reality. 
where man inherited both spiritual and physical death along with a sinful nature and a deceitful heart. We are now sinners by birth, by nature, and even by choice. All in Adam die. All in Christ live. It is only through Christ that our nature is transformed into the image of God again. We know that the wages of sin is death. But God has promised to give us a gift of eternal life. But this gift is only for those who will receive him. And he says in John 1 verse 12. John 1 verse 12. He says to them. To them. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the privilege to become his children. To those who believe in his name. Do you believe? Then you are his child. Do you obey? Then you are his child. Because those who truly believe don't just have an intellectual understanding and belief that intellectual understanding belief transforms the mind into obeying God you see here we have without the regeneration of the Holy Spirit all men would remain in their fallen state so we need Jesus a stained or marred image in any degree cannot live in the presence of God let me read that to you again a stained or marred image in any degree cannot spend eternity with a completely holy and perfect God. And that's why we have to experience a new birth. You see, in the old, in the beginning, when God made us, when he made humanity, it was perfect, without sin, without blemish. And then sin came in and, and just put a spot on God's perfect creation. Now God is trying to do something special for you and me. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to recreate that image that we had before sin. The problem is that many of us don't want it. We don't want it on God's terms. We want it on our terms. The image of God is still there in man. Even though it has been tarnished and stained and broken, it is only a shadow of what it once was. And Satan works to obliterate the image of God in man and to imprint upon him, that is, upon man, his own image. So whose image do you want to be a part of? You want God's image? or Satan's image. God, on the other hand, is trying to reproduce his image in us through the Holy Spirit. He is trying to reshape our values, reshape our interests, reshape our attitude toward him. He's trying to reshape our dispositions, our characters, so that we can once again reflect him. We want to reflect God's image 
But you see, when Adam sinned, that opportunity was lost. Because now the humanity comes in the image of Adam and not in the image of God. What we lost because of sin, God is trying to restore in us by his Holy Spirit. But this process takes time. Like an artist, God is trying to remold our characters after the divine similitude. And to be reformed by that faith that works by love and purifies the soul. Listen to what the pen of inspiration says. The potter takes the clay and molds it according to his will. He kneads it and works it. He tears it apart and presses it together. He wets it and then dries it. He lets it lie for a while without touching it. When it is perfectly pliable, he continues the work of making of it a vessel. He forms it into shape and on the wheel trims and polishes it. He dries it in the sun and bakes it in the oven. Thus, it becomes a vessel fit for use. So, the great master worker desires to mold and fashion us and as the clay is in the hands of the potter so are we to be in his hands we are not to try to do the work of the potter our part is to yield ourselves to be molded by the master worker God is trying to do something in us that he can then do something through us but he can't do something through us if he's not in us. That is taken from Ministry of Healing, page, pages 471 and 472. The work of transformation, the work of transforming us from unholiness to holiness is a continuous one. Day by day, God works for man's sanctification. However, man is to cooperate with God, putting forth persevering efforts to cultivating a right spirit, a right attitude, and right habits. Being a Christian is more than merely subscribing to certain theological tenets. The problem is that we, as believers, have not brought the truth into practical life. Listen again to Desire of Ages, 309 to 310. Many take it for granted that they are Christians simply because they subscribe to certain theological tenets, but they have not brought the truth into practical life. They have not believed and loved it. Therefore, they have not received the power and the grace that come through sanctification of the truth. Men may profess faith in the truth, but if it does not make them sincere, kind, patient, forbearing, heavenly-minded, it is a curse to its possessors and through their influence, a curse to the world. Again, I say that's Desire of Ages, pages 309, 310. See, these are not my words. This is the pen of inspiration saying this to us there is a belief in heaven but there is no true longing for it everybody wants to go to heaven but do we want to live 
as if we're already in heaven. Because there's a distinct difference. And we are all growing, brothers and sisters. And I just want to remind us that someone may be a further up the head of the road than I am. But they have to be patient with me. Because when I look at my life and I look back at what I used to be, I can truly thank God that I'm not what I used to be. I know I'm not what I need to be and what I'm hoping God will help grow me into, but I'm so thankful that I'm not what I used to be. I praise him for it. She goes on to say this. Many who profess to be Christ followers have an anxious, troubled heart because they are afraid to trust themselves with God. They do not make a complete surrender to him for they shrink from the consequences that such a surrender may involve. Unless they do make a surrender, they cannot find peace. You see, the whole thing about surrendering, brothers and sisters, is that we've got to make a complete surrender. A half-hearted surrender is not surrendering. It has to be a complete surrendering. And the point about surrendering is that it takes us out of our present world. When we talk about giving all to Jesus, I surrender all, do we really know what we're saying? No, I don't think so. Lord, you own everything I have. It is because of you that I have a car. It is because of you that I have a home. It is because of you that I have food on my table. It's because of you that I'm able to, 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 to have clothes and to, to, to do things. It's because of God that I'm able to do the things. It's because of God that I have a mind that can comprehend certain principles that allows me to become an engineer. To become a nurse. You know, I, I, I must admit, I, I was not good in science. My children were good in science. And uh, they were good in math. And I, 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 was, I was pretty good at adding and subtracting. I mean, when we got to geometry, well, I didn't even do geometry. But when we got to algebra and whatnot, I, <laughs> it kind of lost me. But you know, the, the thing about it, brothers and sisters, God gives us all of this. He gives it to us. And then we run around thinking that it's us. Look what I did. I got a four. I got a four point oh. By the grace of God, you got a four point oh. And God wants to do something special with your life. It's not about just being a doctor or being a nurse or being a business person or being a great musician or being whatever. It's about how can I use what God has given me for His glory. The badge of Christianity is not an outward sign, not the wearing of a cross or a crown, but it is that which reveals the union of man with God by the power of his grace, by the power of his grace manifested in the transformation of character, the world is to be convinced that God has sent his son as its redeemer. No other influence 
that can surround the human soul has such power as the influence of an unselfish life. An unselfish life. An unselfish life. That's what we need, brothers and sisters. Because when you think about it, God is an unselfish God. God, the creator of the universe, stepped off of his throne and became a baby, a human baby. You see, we would not even be talking about this if it had not been for the incarnation. We can praise God for Jesus coming into the world that makes this all possible. Yes. Transformation of character. You know, I, 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 I have, I've had some good ideas. And I may have thought that my ideas were better than the next person's ideas. But it's how I go about expressing those ideas that makes a difference. Do I have to put someone down to be lifted up? Okay, I come to church and, and maybe there's something going on at the church or, or, or maybe there's someone at the church that I don't get along with or maybe they don't get along with me, whatever the case may be. But God is working with them just like he's working with me. God is an artist trying to reproduce himself in us. Not just me, but also in you. It says, no other influence that can surround the human soul has such power as the influence of an unselfish life. Such a person is Christ's representative. Their life is the most convincing evidence that can be born to the power of divine grace. When God's people bring the righteousness of Christ into the daily life, Sinners will be converted. When God's people bring the righteousness of Christ into the daily life, sinners will be converted and victories over the enemy will be gained. Review and Herald, January 14, 1904. But listen, brothers and sisters, when the world sees that we are serious about God, when the world sees that we are serious about serving God, when the world sees that we are serious about surrendering it all to God, it will bring conversion to their hearts. When they see how much we love each other, how much we forgive each other, how much we tolerate each other, even though we have some differences. What are, we are, what are we like when dealing with others? Do we reflect the character of Christ in our homes, on our jobs, in the community, in church meetings? You know, church meetings are interesting. They're, they're, they're interesting. And, and sometimes we disagree. But you know, it, it's okay to disagree. 
the, the point is, if we could come to some kind of resolve, you see, some, sometimes we don't like the process of getting to the end resolve. But it's how we disagree that makes a difference. When you look at your life, and as I look at my own life, and we consider what God is doing with it, we tend to forget that God is, uh, is an artist. He is trying to make something beautiful of our lives. He's trying to make something beautiful of our lives from a spiritual perspective. He's trying to restore his image, his values, his way of thinking, his way of being. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what Jesus is like? Look at his followers. Look at those who say, I believe in Jesus. And I just love, oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Okay, uh... Here's a man who drives two hours to prayer meeting and you live a half an hour away. Can you come to prayer meeting? But you love Jesus. I mean, you're not, you're not that busy that you can't come once or twice a month. Ouch. Must have stepped on something. But, but the point is, you get my point. Brothers and sisters, we got up to about 24 people at prayer meeting. Amen. I still think we can do 30. And when we get to 30, I think we can do 35. And then when we get to 35, we can go on up to 40. And maybe the whole church will come out to prayer meeting. And there don't have to be a 9-11 event for us to come to prayer meeting and pray. Yes. We look at our lives and we have to realize that God is trying to do something special with my life, with your life. You may not even see the design or the evidence that God is working in your life at the moment, but you know it's possible that someone else will see it before you do. You may not need to see it. But God is not finished. It is called a work in progress. And we're all a work in progress. Every single one of us is a work in progress. And as great works of art take time, so does God's work in our lives. Sanctification takes time. You remember the song, it takes time to be holy. It takes time with God in his word. It takes time with God on our knees. It takes time with God serving our neighbors. It takes time, brothers and sisters, to be holy. And if we're not willing to spend that time with God, how can we then be holy? The life of God's children is a life of self-denial, self-sacrifice, a life of humility. And we learn this by spending time with Jesus. 
Now, I'm impressed to say this. I, 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 like, I like to hear a variety of topics, prophecy, end time, events, and all of those things. But if we are not right with Christ, knowing prophecy is not going to help us. The man who went up and down Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem telling about the Romans coming and, and so on, he died in the siege. But he knew the Romans were coming. Brothers and sisters, God is not waiting for outside events to occur. He's waiting for his people to get ready. When God's people get ready and he can seal them, events will take place. The point that we are missing is that we're focusing on overseas and what's happening in the storms. And, and I'm saying that, yes, we need to be concerned about those things and we need to observe those things. But we also need to be dwelling on the fact that God is hoping and wishing that we would allow him to change us from within and help us to reflect his character. Amen. To be loving like him. To be forgiving like him. To be long-suffering like him. To bear with one another even when there are times when we disagree. You know, I have a good friend and he's probably one of my best friends. Somebody say he may be my only friend. But, but the point is, is that right now he's kind of sick and, 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 and we have our debates. We have our debates. We go back and forth with each other. But we're friends. And when we love each other, even with disagreements, we eventually come back together. We are God's workmanship. We are his representatives in the world called to share God with the world. But before we go out to the world, we need to make sure we have God within us. Workmanship. This word workmanship, this poema, poema is a Greek word that, that uh, means made or done, a work, a creation. The English word is poem, derived from poema, poema. The reference is God's spiritual recreation of man. Because that's what God wants to do. We are remade by him for the purpose of good works. Man of himself cannot bring the good works that God desires without being spiritually recreated in Christ. By a change of the will, affections, and purposes, the privilege and duty of witnessing by good works become possible. Those saved by grace should have good works as a witness of the fact that they are saved by grace. Good works should be a habitual thing, not, not an occasional thing. It's not by demand. It's a natural expression of the new life. For the old life is past. The old man is dead. It's the new man. It's the new person now who lives in us that causes us to have a concern for our neighbor, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it's all about. Is having that natural expression of the new life. But you can't have that unless you have a connection with the new life giver. The architect of the universe 
is also the architect of our souls, working according to eternal purposes. God is the author of our salvation. May the God of peace, the Lord, make us complete in every good work to do his work, working in us what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. The Lord is the perfect workman. The Lord is perfect, and he wants to do a perfect work in you. He wants to do a perfect work in me. He completes every work to which he sets his hand if only the human material permits him to do so. So God starts, as the text in Philippians says, the work that God starts, he will complete it. But the completion of his work in you, in me, is not going to take place unless we give him permission. The work is finished gradually, but nonetheless, surely. The work of perfecting of spiritual growth will continue until Christ comes to receive his own. Let me close with this. Looking at Matthew, Matthew 11. Matthew 11. I want to start at verse 28. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And he has promised to do what? To give us rest from our labors. He says, take my yoke upon you. And this is the part that I want to emphasize. And learn from me. Well, Lord, what, what, what do you want me to learn from you? I want you to learn how to be gentle. I want you to learn how to be humble. I want you to learn how to be loving. I want you to learn how to be forgiving. I want you to learn how to be forbearing. I want you to learn how to be like me. I want you to learn how to love people like I do. God says, I want you to learn to love people and to be concerned about their eternal well-being like I am. So don't just sit, go. But you got to come before you go. Learn from me. Join God's art class so that he can remake you and fit you to live with him for eternity. God's art class is, has an open registration. You college students know about registration and those registration lines, you know, and I remember them too. But the point is that God's registration line, is there is no line. He has so many openings. And all he's doing is waiting for you and me to register for his art class. By surrendering to him. God the artist wants to remake us. Father in heaven, you've seen the hands that went up. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us all. We need your tender care, your touch on our lives. We need your help, Lord. We don't always know which way to go and how to do. But, Lord, please help us today. Come into our hearts and our minds.
and help us to know exactly what you want us to do. Help us no, help us no longer to be my way, but to be God's way. I pray that we will allow you to have your way in our lives today. Thank you, O oh God, for all that you do for us and all that you've given us through Jesus Christ. We thank you in his name. Amen. Amen.